The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. I want to start this morning by singing you a song. Freebird. Out of respect, I ask that you hold your applause to the end. Okay. And if you know this song, please join in. I'd love to have it. It would drown my voice out, which would be glorifying to God. Anyways, I can't believe I'm going to do this. All right, here we go. Right? <laughs> There's a reason why I'm the preacher. Not the... All right. Making your way in the world today. Everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. Dun, 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 dun. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. That is the first time anyone has ever applauded my singing. So, and I'm sorry for those who listen to this on a recording because they only hear my voice. And for those of you under the age of 30, all right, if you're under the age of 30, anyone know what that is a theme song for? Okay, you do know. All right, good, good. This is a theme song that, that caught on in this, 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 this show from the 1980s called Cheer, Cheers, which was wildly popular. And it's a song that has resonated with everyone who hears it because it, it describes something that all of us so deeply long for. All of us long for a community that knows our troubles, that shares our troubles. All of us long for a community where we are not just a number, but that we are a person, that we are a name, that we are valued. All of us want a community where we are 100% known and yet 100% loved. So often we look for this in the local bar, but we should be able to find this in the local church. I'm guessing for some of you, this has not been your experience in the local church. The local church has not been a humble, loving, tight-knit community that you had desired it to be. For some of you, your experience with the local church might be like going to the grocery store where you get in, you're nice, you smile, you say thank you, but then you get out as quickly as possible. For some of you, your experience with church might be like being a part of a big corporation in which the ultimate goal always in pressing forward is growth. And if you get in the way of that, you'll be thrown out like a used Kleenex. Some of you may have experienced church like a militant high school football team in which you are told what to do and your job is to be quiet and obey and not ask any questions at all. Maybe you can relate to these. Maybe you could share your stories of your past church experience and how it's not what you had hoped for 
and how it isn't what you had longed for, whether that be at another church or maybe even at this church. If you would, please open up to Philippians chapter 1, and we will be looking at a gospel community, a community full of joy in one another. It's on page 980 in your Red Bible. If you have a Red Bible, it's page 1452 in the Children's Bible. Just to catch you up, last week we looked at Acts chapter 16. Uh, The Apostle Paul, in a vision, is called to go to Macedonia and preach the gospel. Uh, He goes to the city of Philippi, the most strategic city in all of the region of Macedonia. And when he goes there, he starts preaching the gospel, and God does these amazing things. Maybe you can remember, but God opens up the heart of Lydia, the seller of purple, to respond and trust in Christ. God sends out this evil spirit from this slave girl who was a fortune teller. God shakes the prison that Paul and Silas are in, loosening their chains, leading the the Philippian jailer to say, what must I do to be saved? And from this motley crew of extremely diverse people, God plants the first church on, on European soil in Philippi. At the end of Acts chapter 16, we saw Paul went, went off from Philippi. Paul continued throughout Europe planting churches and eventually ended up in a Roman prison, which is from where he writes the letter that we will start today. Now, as we read today, Philippians 1, 1 through 11, I want to ask you to imagine that the Apostle Paul is writing this to you. Imagine that the Apostle Paul is writing this to us. And I want you to pay attention to how your heart responds when someone speaks this way of you. All right? So let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, or Jacob's well, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from our God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. 
Lord, as we look at this introduction to Philippians, it is something that all of our hearts yearn for. A community of love, of joy, of thanksgiving, of service to one another. A place where we can belong and be cared for and be nourished and be appreciated. Lord, we we know that we live in a fallen world and this often is not the case. Even here at Jacob's Well, we know many times we fall far short of this, Lord. But God, I pray that as we look into your word, you would move us forward. That we might move more and more into this gospel community that you have called us to be. Both for your glory and for our joy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So Paul says, verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Have you ever had anyone speak of you this way? Have you ever had anyone long for you in this way? The question we have as we look at this is how do we get that gospel community here in Jacob's Well, in Green Bay, and throughout the church universal? How do we get what is in Philippians 1, 1 through 11 here? Because this is what we all long for. What we're going to see as we look at this passage is that Paul doesn't only give us a picture of a joy-saturated, gospel-connected community. He also gives us the building blocks for it. And if our desire is to have this community, it is essential that the things that Paul lists out today are a part of your life and my life individually so that we have this joy and this community corporately. And so I want to look at those things. There are three things that we'll look at. They all start with the letter P. Thank goodness. One is partnership. The second is prayer. And the third is perseverance. Partnership, prayer, and perseverance. First, partnership. We're looking explicitly at the Philippians partnership. Verse four, Paul says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership. The word here is koinonia, which means fellowship, your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, when we think of partnership, typically we think of an active partnership in which we're a part of a team or we're part of a business and team members on the business and we're working together for this goal to accomplish this goal. And certainly that is a part of partnership. But what we will see here is that a vital part of our partnership with one another is not just an active partnership, it's also a passive partnership. But before we get there, let's look at the active partnership. Paul And the Philippians shared a passion for extending the name and the glory of Christ throughout all of European soil, through to all of the Gentiles and non-Jews that they could find. As I mentioned earlier, Paul, after Philippi, went on to continue to preach and plant more churches. 
And the Philippian church, who had no obligation to Paul at all, continued to support him as he went from city to city to city to plant churches. They supported him with people. They supported him with finances. They supported him with prayer. And they did all of this because they shared in a common mission, a partnership in gospel proclamation. If you can, flip to Philippians chapter 4. It's probably just one or two pages over in your Bible. We read about this partnership in the gospel and gospel proclamation. In Philippians 4, verse 14, Paul says this to the Philippians. He says, yet it was kind of you to share my troubles. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Paphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Philippians actively participated in Paul's mission and their mission to proclaim the gospel. And they did this by investing, by investing their time and their talent and their treasure. We see them investing in their time and and preparing Epaphroditus and sending him out. It would have been a four to six six week journey for Epaphroditus to travel from Philippi to Rome. He was there for a while ministering to Paul, caring for him while he was in prison. He would have traveled home four to six weeks. This is months of his life given, time given to partner with Paul in gospel proclamation. But it also went the other way. Paul came to Philippi at least two times to encourage the church. And so we see they devoted their time to one another for the purpose of gospel proclamation. We also see they gave of their talents. Epaphroditus was a gifted teacher and a gifted minister. The Philippian church certainly could have used him at home, and yet they sent off this very gifted man to go and minister to Paul. Contrastingly, Paul sent Timothy to the Philippian church, another talented and gifted man who he could have used in his presence, but sent to Philippi to care for them. They also shared their treasure, their financial support. Paul would typically make money by by making tents and selling tents. But here they would give him money to free him to preach the gospel. And so they would share their treasure with him. And it's so interesting because what we see throughout scripture is that where you share your treasure, that is what you are knit, knit to. That is where you find community and union. Jesus actually says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We expect him to say the opposite. We expect him to say where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be also. But that's not what he says. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we see as they share the abundance that God has given to them, it unites them together in this gospel community with Paul. You know, some of the people that I have the deepest friendship with, the deepest joy in, are people that I have partnered with in ministry throughout my years. Whether it be the young life that I served with in Columbia, Missouri. I love going and seeing on Facebook their kids and how they've grown and what God's doing in their life and how they're serving in ministry. Even here at Jacob's Well with Jason and with Chad and with Chris and with Tracy. There are, there are many times where I am moved to tears because I am so thankful for my partners in the gospel. 
many of you as well, as we've partnered together in the proclamation of the gospel, it has united us and given us a joy in one another. You know, as we talk about this, our desire at Jacob's Well is that you would indeed partner with us in the proclamation of the gospel, that you would give your time and your talent and your treasure sacrificially, not only because God is worthy and his mission is worthy and people need to know the good news of Christ, but because we want that for you. We want you to be connected here. If you're here and you've been here a long time and you feel like, you know, this just doesn't feel like home to me. It could be because you do not partner with us in proclaiming the gospel. And so we encourage you for for the glory of God, for our benefit and for yours to partner with us in the proclamation of the gospel. This is an active partnership in the mission of God. But another vital part of our union in our community is a passive partnership, meaning not meaning something that we do, but something that is done to us. Look at the first part of verse 7 with me, if you would, back in Philippians 1. Paul says this, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. What a beautiful statement, isn't it? That you are partakers of grace with me. When I think of the word partaking, I think of a partaking of food, of a, of a great dinner and joining together with a community to eat and celebrate and rejoice and enjoy. We are partakers of God's undeserved favor, his grace together. If you notice in the beginning of this letter, verse 1, Paul starts out by calling the Christians at Philippi saints. I don't know about you, but when I was raised, I thought saints were those super spiritual Christians, like the really holy ones, the ones that, that never, ever sinned or messed up. But what Paul is telling us is that all of the Christians are saints and all of the saints are Christians. This word saint is agios, which means to be set apart or to be deemed holy. And what we see from the very beginning is that we are recipients of God's grace, that you are made holy, that you are set apart by God, for God, and to God. And that he does this because he loves you and cares for you, not because of anything you've done on your own. And so we are together recipients of God's grace, and that unites us together as a gospel community, as we preach the gospel to one another time and time and time again. This, a, a couple months ago, uh, we got free tickets to go to Six Flags. We didn't deserve it. It was a gift of grace. And so Trish and I took our older two kids down there. And together we were partakers of grace. And it was fun. <laughs> it was great. And it was a little bit sickening after all the rides. But as we, as we drove down together and we enjoyed our time together and we celebrated and enjoyed the Batman ride and the other rides and the log flume and all of those things. It is times like those that bring us together, partakers of grace together. If, if, if partaking of the grace of man would draw us together, how much more unifying would it be in our partaking of God's grace together? You know, Certainly, we partake of God's grace and salvation. There's something called the order of salvation. It's okay if you don't know all this, but 
but we together have been partakers of God's grace, that we have been elected and predestined, called by God, regenerated with God to new birth, that he has worked in us repentance and faith, that he has justified us, declaring us righteous. All of these are true of all of the saints, of all who trust in Christ, even if you don't know what they mean. These are true of you and of me, and we partake of God's grace together. What a joyous and thankful community we should be. But God's grace doesn't stop there. Not only does God give us grace in our salvation, he gives us grace in our sanctification as we grow into the likeness of Jesus, as we, as we continue this life. Life is not easy. Life is hard. And God continues to give us grace. We call this the means of grace, the means by which God pours out his grace upon his people. He does this through the preaching, teaching, instruction in God's word, through prayer, through community, through the sacraments, through singing praises to God. Every church, every small group is an opportunity to partner passively in partaking God's grace. And this unites us together. I can't tell you how difficult summer is for me because I miss my community group. I miss seeing those people. I miss growing in the Lord together. It is such a beautiful and wonderful means of grace that God has poured out upon us to mend us together. And so we see one of the fundamental Ingredients to gospel community is partnership, active partnership in promoting the gospel and passive partnership in partaking of the gospel of grace together. Another fundamental part is prayer. We see in this, Paul offers two prayers. There is a praise and a petition. Let's look at the praise first. First, Paul praises God. Verse three, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Joy is a major theme in the book of Philippians. It's repeated over 16 times in the epistle. Some have called it the the letter of joy. Others have entitled their Philippian sermon, Be Joyful, It Beats Being Happy. Joy is a delight of our mind and our emotions and our heart. And here Paul says, every remembrance every remembrance without exception every remembrance of philippians leads paul to thanksgiving and joy now let's be honest there is no easy church there never has been an easy church there are messed up people in the philippian church and yet paul says i thank my god in all my remembrance of you both good and bad they had beaten him They had annoyed him, and yet he thanks God for all his remembrance of them, always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with joy. There are no exclusions to Paul's thanksgiving. There are no saints at Philippi that says, I'm thankful for all of you except this person. Paul is thankful for all of the saints in every memory. How many of us could say that? What is the key? What is the key to having joy and thanksgiving in one another? Well, I think the key is found in the order of verse 3 and verse 4. Look closely and see the order here and see how this is different than we would probably order our thanksgiving. Verse 3, Paul says, I thank my God 
in all my remembrance of you. So Paul starts with thanksgiving. And then he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. I don't know about you, but (laughs) when I pray thanksgiving to God, it's usually dictated by what I'm joyful in. Does that make sense? Like I take joy in something, so I give thanks for it. But Paul reverses the order. First, he gives thanks, and then he finds joy. You know, Paul, uh, Paul, Chad, whatever his name is, he alluded to this earlier. Who do you avoid when you come to church on Sunday mornings? Who do you hope not to lock eyes with? Who is someone that is maybe very difficult for you to love? Thank God for them. Genuinely, genuinely, don't do it disingenuously, but find what there is to be thankful in that person and thank God for them and see if the trailer of joy comes following right behind. Give thanks for everybody. Thanks for everyone that you encounter, even those that are difficult. One more point of application. Let me flip the tables on this for you. Are you a person that is easy to give thanks for? When people, if people pray for you, when they come to you, do they go, oh, I know I'm thankful. I should be thankful. What am I thankful for? Mm, Lord, help me. What can I be thankful? Oh, you know, uh, they threw my cup away one time. Lord, thank you for that. Are you a person that is easy to be thankful for? You may be here and say, no, I'm not. I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm selfish. Could we pray to God, Lord, work your spirit in us. Let us be encouragers. Let us be servants. Let us be loving and caring. That when others would pray for us, that joy would come easy and quickly. And thanksgiving would be Uh, would be easy for them to do when they think of us. And so God calls us to give thanks for one another. The other thing that we see here is not only does Paul pray for them and give thanks for them, but Paul also petitions God. He makes requests of God on their behalf. You know, it's interesting because Paul's primary prayer in this passage is not what our prayers primarily are. You know, usually, what do we pray for? We pray for Safe travel, right? Pray that my travel to Milwaukee would go safe. I'm flying here. Pray that that would go safe. My cousin's third aunt is flying here. Please pray that that would go well, right? We pray for travel or we pray for health. You know, I'm a little bit under the weather. Could you pray for me? Or so-and-so has cancer. Can you pray for them, right? Or, or maybe we pray for our finances or we pray for whatever it might be. These are all good things to pray to God about. God wants to know all of your needs, all of your desires. But when we look at this passage, what we see is this is not Paul's primary prayer. He is not praying for safe travel or for health. He's praying for something that is far more important, something that transcends safe travel and transcends health. Look at this. Verse 9, he starts, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Now, this makes sense. This is easy for us. We pray, yes, Lord, may they abound in love. We want that for people. But here's where it gets very weird to our culture. 
Let me start again in beginning verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. May your love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge would be correct and precise theology, okay? And discernment would be moral decision-making. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. In other words, he's praying that they would live in such a way that it's consistent with their faith in Christ until Christ returns. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so the chief end in all of this is that we would glorify God, which is our chief end. And so just to summarize, Paul prays, verse 9, for intelligent love. Why? Verse 10, that we might have intelligent living. Why? Verse 10 through 11, so that we might have right living, so that we might glorify God, which is man's chief end. And so what we learn here is that we must pray for one another. We must pray for intelligent love. Have you ever prayed for intelligent love? You know, in our culture, those seem so contradictory. I know I remember in college thinking, you know, theology is not that important. All I need to do is love God and love others, which is completely true. All we need to do is love God and love others. But if we love unintelligently, we love on our terms and not on God's terms. And if we do it that way, then we're only loving ourselves. Let me give you an example of unintelligent love and how this is actually no love at all. I had a seminary professor who shared a story, and uh, he, he talked about when he was engaged, his, his fiance, who was doing so much of the wedding prep, said, you know what, you just handle the honeymoon. You may have heard this story before. You, you just handle the honeymoon, okay? I'll take care of the wedding stuff. You take care of the honeymoon. And so he proceeded to plan out a two-week tour of the battlefields of the Civil War. <laughs> And so a few days before the wedding, he noticed she was disturbed. And so he asked, what's wrong? She's like, nothing. No, no, something's wrong. I don't want to go see battlefields on my honeymoon. He was loving unintelligently, right? And who was he loving? He was loving himself. This is what he wanted, what he wanted to do. You see, for us to love we must love according to what, how God commands us to love. We can't just go on our own. Our hearts are deceitful above all else. We must love intelligently. And we know this by getting into God's word and being around people who can call out our blind spots and say, this is not loving. This is not caring. And so we must pray that people might grow in intelligent love. So often we think that truth and love oppose one another, but this is foreign to Scripture. Truth and love mutually support each other and grow to love together. True love seeks true knowledge, and true knowledge seeks true love. So when we pray for one another, pray that we might grow in knowledge and love. Pray for your small group. Pray for the people in your pew. Pray for your people in the directory. Pray as God puts people in your heart. Praise God for them, even if they are difficult, especially if they are difficult. 
and petition God for them. Ask God to flood their hearts with the deep truths of the gospel and his word that might free them to love. And so we see this joy-saturated community between Paul and the Philippians. There is this partnership, active partnership in proclaiming the gospel, a passive partnership in partaking of the grace of God. We also see this prayer in which Paul praises God for them, but he also petitions God, asks God on their behalf that they might grow in knowledge and wisdom and love. The final ingredient we see is not the Philippians partnership or Paul's prayer. It is God's perseverance. What are you sure of in life? Death and taxes, right? Those are two things that are certain life, death and taxes and change, right? There is one more thing that is certain in this life. And Paul lists it out here in verse six. He says, and I am sure of this, that God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. The apostle Paul knew that the perseverance wasn't up to him. He was a man who persevered through much suffering, through much pain, through much struggles, and continued to proclaim the gospel. He knew the perseverance wasn't dependent on the Philippians who also went through suffering. But he knew the perseverance that he could hope in was the perseverance of God and God alone. Because what he was unable to do, what the Philippians were unable to do, God continued to do day after day after day, which is keep them to himself and carry them on to the destination, to the final prize. When I was in elementary school, I was in Cub Scouts or Boy Scouts. I can't remember where it flipped. And I remember going off to a camp and I can still imagine the camp. There were army tents and there were cots that we would sleep on. And while we were there, you tried to earn merit badges, right? And so um, one of the marriage badges was swimming. And as I mentioned, I'm not very competitive, but I thought I could go swimming. You know, this I can do because I love sports. And so I said, I'm going to go for the merit badge for swimming. Well, to, to get the merit badge for swimming, you had to swim a mile. All right. And so they would put two canoes out in the middle of a lake and you had to swim around these canoes about 20 times. All right. And so I thought I can do that. And so for my safety, they partnered me up with a, a counselor, a leader. Uh, it just so happens that he was a high school swimmer. And so we go out and we start swimming these laps. Well, we get to like lap four, okay? I'm like, I'm tired. I can't do this. I'm just going to go in. I'm just going to quit. I don't want to do this anymore. And he said, just hold on to my swimsuit. And so I remember taking my two fingers and just putting them on the side there. And he swam the rest of that mile. And, and every once in a while, when we go around the canoes, I just kind of wave the other arm so they thought that I was swimming, you know. <laughs> and, and, but there is no way I could have completed that journey. There is no way you can persevere yourself until Christ returns. There is no way. It is impossible. Our hope and our surety is not in our own perseverance. It is in God's perseverance. All of you here who trust in Christ are a testimony to that. I cannot tell you how many stories I've heard of a person who trusted in Jesus as a five-year-old, but then walked away from him, but are now back in the church. That is a testimony to God's perseverance and not our own. 
God will persevere. You know, this doctrine is often called perseverance of the saints. That is a wrong name for it. It is the perseverance of God in the saints. This is such good news because this means when I give up on myself, God does not give up on me. Ligon Duncan gave this quote in preaching on this passage, and it has just resonated with me. He says that when we get to heaven, we will be more happy, but we will not be more secure. When we get to heaven, we will be more happy, but we will not be more secure. You are as secure in your salvation today as you will be in heaven if you trust in Christ, not because of your perseverance, but because of God's. I take refuge in this promise so many times as I sin time and time again. After I promise time and time again that I'll never do that sin again, and then I do it again. I take refuge in this promise for you and for those that I love as I seek them pursuing self-destructive habits, that God will accomplish his purpose, that God will persevere in their hearts and in their lives to the very end. This is our hope, that God will persevere even when we don't. Let me end with this. Preaching this passage is very interesting because I didn't recognize this until I started, but I actually preached this passage on January 7th, 17th, 2010. And you'll see the picture. Um, this, was, this was the start of Jacob's Well. We had these things called preview services or kind of practice services in which we would, we would try to get our act together before we went public. And I think this was our, pre- our first, first preview service, maybe second. I remember Pat and Josh Brooke, who had a broken leg at the time, were leading music. And, uh, and I was there in, in jeans and a black shirt because I dig that. And, um, you know, it's interesting because the title of that sermon was Planting a Gospel Community. Planting a Gospel Community. And the question I asked was, how do we build a healthy community at Jacob's Well? And so as I have looked at this picture this week and I've thought about that question, how do we build a healthy gospel community at Jacob's Well? I have to ask the question, has that happened? Has God built a healthy gospel community at Jacob's Well over the past four years? You know, as I looked at this picture, something else came to mind. Five thoughts, they're quick. But as I looked at this picture, and I looked at the adults in this picture, not the kids, as I looked at the adults, I realized this. Over the past four years, each one of these people have frustrated me. Each one of these people have frustrated me at one time or another for whatever reason. But the second thing I recognized was this that I, as their pastor over the past four years, have most certainly frustrated every one of these people, right? If you live in community, if you love tightly together, you are going to frustrate one another. I also recognize that over the next four years, they're going to frustrate me again. And over the next four years, I will frustrate them again. But as I looked at this picture, one of the things that resonated above all is that even as I frustrate them sometimes, and even as they frustrate me sometimes, it is easy to say that I love them far more today than I did four years ago. And it's my hope because the gospel is true. 
that I will love them more four years from now than I do today. You see, the good news of the gospel is this. That all of us who were created for this beautiful, wonderful, glorious, intimate, joyful community that we all long for have broken from this community. We have broken from it by our sin, by pursuing our own selfish and sinful desires. But God sent his son out of this perfect community, the Trinity, down into this broken community of earth. And at the cross, for the first time in all eternity, the perfect community of the Trinity was broken. I mean, think about that. This Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this community, perfect and holy and joyous and wonderful for all eternity at the cross was broken. As Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this community was broken. That you might have community once again with God. And that you might have community with his church. It is not going to be perfect this side of heaven. But it is far greater than being left to ourselves. We see this joy-saturated gospel community that comes together as we partner together. Actively through promoting the gospel. Passively through partaking of the gospel. We see this joy-centered gospel community being promoted as we pray for one another, praising God, thanking God for one another, and petitioning God for one another. But our greatest hope for this community is the perseverance of God. You know, not all of these people still go to Jacob's well. I'm still in good relationships with all of them. Some of them go to other churches in town. Some of them have helped plant Emmaus Road. But the perseverance of God promises me this. One day in heaven, we will all be in church again. And we'll be together. And it will be a perfect, glorious gospel community. Let's pray. Lord, as we think about this gospel community that we long for, Lord, we we confess that so often we are consumers and we are not contributors to this gospel community, Lord. That we often are victims and we are not participants in uniting with one another, God. Lord, I pray that you would help us seek ways to partner with one another. That we would honestly and genuinely and truly and repeatedly pray for one another, Lord. And that, God, we would trust in your perseverance to the very end. Lord, as we turn to the Lord's table, we are reminded that you broke community within the Godhead to give us true community with you and with one another for all eternity. And so, Lord, as we turn to these elements, set them apart in our hearts, God. May they not be ordinary to us, but extraordinary as the method, the means by which you brought us into relationship with yourself and relationship with one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.